Can you imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls preaching the gospel during this time and a great multitude that no one can count comes to believe on the Lord Jesus. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We've spent the past few weeks looking at the four horsemen of the apocalypse. These harbingers of doom are introduced to us in Revelation chapter 6 as Jesus, following the rapture of the church, begins to unravel a scroll that portends a series of judgments that will befall the earth. Each of these scroll judgments is sealed, and as each seal is broken, increasing devastation occurs. The four horsemen include the Antichrist, war, famine, and death. Today we come to the fifth seal in a message entitled, Two Opposite Worlds. Would you take the Bible, please, and turn to the 66th book in the Bible and the sixth chapter. That's easy to remember, 666, right? All right. We are in a study of the book of Revelation, verse by verse by verse. And as you find the sixth chapter, put your bulletin in there, because I want to set the time frame and the context of where we are in our study of the Revelation. My desire is that by the time you are done with Revelation, you'll be able to think your way all the way through it. This is, I think, the 18th message I've given thus far in the Revelation. And if you will put your finger in the sixth chapter and turn to the first chapter so I can set the context for you. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7 gives us the theme of the book of Revelation. It is very simply, He is coming with the clouds. That really runs all the way through this book that Jesus is coming back. And God Himself gave us the outline of Revelation, just like in the book of Acts, Jesus at His ascension gave the outline in terms of a prophecy for the first 30 years of church history. So we have an outline of the Revelation in Revelation 1.19. Therefore, Jesus said, write the things which you have seen, as this chart shows, that's the past. Write the things that are, are, that's chapters 2 and 3. So he writes the things that he's seen, and he records this vision of this glorified Christ that he sees in heaven, write the things that are, and he writes of seven literal, actual, functioning churches that are alive and meeting in 95 AD. And then he says that you are to write the things after these things. What must take place after these things? That's the future. Those are the things that are yet to happen. So when you come to chapter 4, you begin the after these section. Turn over to chapter 4 and verse 1. The chapter opens, after these things open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. Twice over in the verse, so you could not miss it. We are moving into the futuristic section of the Revelation. He's caught up. We call it the harpazo. We shall all be caught up. In the Latin, the translation gives us the word rapture. So when people tell you the rapture is not in the Bible, they are mistaken. It's in the Latin Bible. I don't care what you call it. But John is caught up into heaven. God has taken him up. And so the church is not mentioned again until the 19th chapter when the bride of Christ comes back with Jesus. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. We read here, around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, 
clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their head. We saw the number 24, we studied it from the Old Testament, is a representative number that God uses of a large mass of people. So it's not by accident that God signals out 24 elders. Now, by who the elders are or how people describe the elders will tell you how they understand the book of Revelation. There are preterists who say that the book of Revelation is already over and done with the exception of the second coming of Christ. There are historicists who say the book of Revelation is being fulfilled over the course of 2,000 years, but most understand this to be the futuristic section beginning in chapter 4. And these 24 elders are representative of the church. How did they get there? The door was open. They went there through the rapture, and so we studied that. Now, as we step into chapter 5, Jesus is described with two terms. He's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's called um, the Lamb that was slain. So the 24 elders are not Israel. The purpose of the tribulation is to bring Israel to Christ. The 24 elders are not angels. They're distinguished in this chapter and the next from the angels. They are the church, and here's the church in heaven looking at the Lamb, and they watch the Father hand the scroll to God the Son. And he's described as the Lamb slain in this verse, but he's also described as the Lamb standing. Why? Because he not only died, he was risen. He's ascended. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Then as we step into chapter 6, we see Jesus taking this scroll, and piece by piece by piece, He breaks the seals. We studied the significance of a seven-seal scroll. We looked at a number of passages. The best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. It's the title deed to the world. And so Jesus not only redeemed man, He redeemed the world. All of creation mourns and groans. What God intended for Adam to rule over, He lost and Satan secured. And so in the temptation, when Satan offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, it was a very real offer. But Jesus is now going to reclaim all of the creation. And we see that through a series of uh, these seven seals. Now, the first four seals have been given a term called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's become virtually an idiom in our day describe, describing any horrible tragedy that may come upon the earth. Well, these first four seals we have seen represent four riders on a white, red, black, and ashen horse. Four ghoulish, gruesome, ghastly riders who unleash a storm like the world has never, ever seen. Look at the first rider in verse 1. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with a loud voice of thunder, come, I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Now we saw that there are over 30 names given for a one-world ruler, the most popular name is the one John gives in his first epistle called the Antichrist. We studied him in the prophet Daniel, that he is the prince that shall come. He will come as a man of peace, and so he's pictured here carrying a bow, but with no arrows, which implies he will conquer the world, but without bloodshed. He will provide answers that the world desperately is looking for. He comes on a white horse, just like the true Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus, in the 19th chapter comes on a white horse. 
He's an imitator. He comes with a, a bow, but with no arrows. He is anti, and the word anti in Greek can mean against or instead of. And it's often used in the nuance instead of. He comes in the place of the true Prince of Peace. And most of the world will embrace him. Most of the world will welcome him. He will, I'm sure, have an explanation as to where all the millions of Christians who've been caught up into heaven are. And he will have an explanation on how to deal with the current problems in the world. Listen, I'm not, an op, I'm not a pessimist. I am a biblicist. And I know what Jesus said, that there's coming a generation where things will not get better, but things will get worse. That is a fact. That's what the Word of God teaches, and we need to prepare our minds for it. Jesus said these things must happen, so don't fear when they do happen. But with that said, this man comes on a white horse with answers. In fact, there's a few commentators who have been deceived by this writer. They think this is Jesus. This is not Jesus. He's the one opening the seals. And if this were Jesus, then he's in bad company. Look at verse 3. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come. And now, this time, a second living creature. We studied these living creatures. I hope you remember them. They are the cherubim. And they're being used of God to execute his plan. Verse 4, and another, a red horse went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth. And this is where the story really turns ugly all the way until the king of kings returns to establish his kingdom. The Antichrist comes, he offers peace. The world will think everything is okay. Finally, we have a solution to the problems in the Middle East and all the problems across the planet. And Paul tells the Thessalonians, while they are saying peace and safety, suddenly destruction will come upon them like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Now, whether the world knows it or not, they are preparing for a new world order. They are moving towards a one-world global government. And for a few moments in human history, when the white horse comes, they think they will have achieved it. But then the red horse comes, and another red horse went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth. It was granted. All of these horsemen are under the authority of a sovereign God. They can only do what God allows. And he's called a red horse. It's the word peros. There's a number of words for red in Koine Greek. But God chose this particular word, red, because it's the color of blood. It is the word that is used when you want to describe terror and death. It's the word that magnifies the dragon, the red dragon. It is the, who is the devil. It's fiery red that describes the destruction that is going to come with this blood red horse. And the Bible says here he has a great sword. We saw the word sword was a symbol of death, but this is a great sword. He is going to take ektes geo. You know our word geo, geography. Ektes geis. He's going to take peace from the earth. There's going to be worldwide war. He is granted to take peace from the earth such that men will slay. And we saw the word slay is a word that is very specific. It describes butcher. Men will butcher one another. He will take peace from the earth and there will be a magnitude of war like the world has never seen. 
He who sat was permitted to take peace. Again, he is on a leash. He is under the sovereign hand of God. Can you imagine a world consumed by war? We've had two world wars, but they really weren't world wars in the truest sense. The fight didn't go to every country of the world. This will. This will take peace from the earth. Jesus said nation will rise against nation. Nation is ethnoi. We get our word ethnicity from it. Kingdom against kingdom. That refers to different geopolitical countries. There will be race wars. There will be class wars. There will be country wars, religious wars. Everywhere on the planet, there will be war. Add to that, there will be no mothers, no fathers praying for their children because God's people will have been raptured off the earth and a host of unbelievers are left. And those who come to faith almost as soon as they believe, we will see they are martyred. There'll be no chaplains out in the foxholes trying to win people to Jesus because almost as fast as they are converted, they are martyred. This is a time of war without God, without Jesus, without hope. It's a terrible time. And we took and studied a glimpse of it from Ezekiel 38 and 39. Verse 5, when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, come. I looked and behold, a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. The third seal is broken and another rider appears. And so just to put it chronologically in your mind, as this next slide shows, you can see we are still in the first half of this seven-year period. This year, uh, this, this period of time is the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. There were 69 weeks we studied in Daniel. There's a space of time as God is building His church, and then the 70th week begins. And there's numerous prophecies like that in the Bible. A son is going to be born. A child will be given. That's His first coming. The governments will rest upon His shoulders. That's the second coming. And so we studied in Daniel a number of verses where in a single verse, within two verses, you have both returns of Christ. The 70th week is a period of seven years that's divided into two halves. Both Daniel, Jesus, and the Apostle John describes the two halves as a time, times, and half a times, or three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days. So these horsemen are still coming here in the first half of the great tribulation period. And this is a black horse. And we saw that the term black is a word for mourning. Most of us, even in this culture, understand that. When you go to a funeral, you don't usually dress up in white. Out of respect for those who have died, you usually put on dark clothing. That's what most people still do. But we looked at five sp specific Old Testament passages where in the Jewish mind, black was not just for mourning the dead, but mourning a loss of food. It was a color that was used for famine. And so this man comes on a black horse. But even if you didn't know that, you could figure that out from the context. We read in verse 5, when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, come. 
And behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. It's not by accident that the black horse follows the red horse, because invariably as night follows day, famine follows war. There will be severe shortages during this time frame. Food will need to be rationed. Now, we know little of that in our country. You can go into any grocery store and buy all the food you want. But following the red and the, the white and the red horses, famine will prevail upon the earth. Millions of people will suffer from malnutrition and hunger. And of course, with inadequate diet comes disease and despair and death. And we're told here that he has an old-fashioned pair of scales in his hand, and specifically a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. The word a quart or a measure, depending on your translation, is a, a mathematical term that describes enough wheat to make a single loaf of bread. Or with uh, a denarius, which represents in the first century a man's work for an entire day, he could, instead of buying a loaf of wheat, he can with his day's pay buy three quarts of barley. We saw that barley was used and illustrated for us in Scripture by the poor. It was very often fed to animals. But if you're really hungry, that's the food that you would eat if that's all you could have. So think about it. Here's an image of people, a man who works all day long. He has to feed his family on a single loaf of bread if he's married and he has children. And we saw the average family size in the world is 5.6 children. Or he has to take uh, his denarius and he has to buy three loaves fit for an animal. That's what it's like during this day. It's an awful time. It's measured out. Inflation has gone off the charts. Soaring prices are everywhere. The problem of hunger that we see in our world today will be dwarfed by what is going to happen. A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. We saw wheat and barley represent the necessities, but at this time frame, the oil and the wine represent the luxuries. Only the rich will be able to have the oil and the wine. And again, it's a picture that Jesus gives in the Olivet Discourse. He speaks of famine, but also when he brought Peter, Andrew, James, and John up there on the Mount of Olivet, he also described that at the coming of Christ, many will be eating and drinking like they were in the days of Noah. So in some places of the world, there will be plentiful food. Maybe certain groups of people will have plentiful food because they are wealthy, but other places will suffer greatly. And so the white horse of deception comes. He's the Antichrist. There's the red horse of destruction. He represents war. There's the black horse of dev devastation. He represents famine. And then last time, if you were with us, and it's been a month since we've been here, so I'm reviewing. I hope you're listening. Mm -hmm. There's a pale horse of devastation. Verse 7, when the lamb broke the fourth seal... I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come. And so now the Lamb, the Lord Jesus, carefully breaks the fourth seal. He unrolls the scroll a little bit further, further, and one of his living creatures, one of his cherubim, who we've already met and we're going to continually meet in the Revelation several more times, he gives the command. I looked, verse 8, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. In 
Now, the word ashen is the Greek word chloros. We have a bleach company in America that's named after this particular word, Clorox. Um, chlor, uh, chlor, chlorine gas is kind of a pale gray gas. And so some translations render this a pale green. In either case, if you want to get a picture of what the color is like, go to a funeral home when your loved one is dead and before they dress them all up and put the makeup on them, that's what this color really represents. And so this fourth horse is death itself. And so God appropriately names the rider death. Um, what a chain reaction we have been seeing here. The first seal brings the white horse. The Antichrist comes. The second seal brings the red horse. War comes. The third uh, seal brings the black horse. Famine comes. Now this ashen horse and death begins to spread. Death and, notice, Hades was following him. And so we looked at all the terms in the Bible used to describe the places of the saved and the lost. And one of the Old Testament terms is Sheol that had two compartments, righteous Sheol, where a believer went, that Jesus emptied out at the ascension, and unrighteous Sheol, the Greek word for Sheol is Hades, and so unrighteous Sheol continues to exist. So when a lost man dies today, he goes to Hades, and someday Hades will be poured into the lake of fire, Gehenna, hell, the final resting place of all the lost. Authority was given to him. Again, he's on a leash. He can only do what God allows. Authority was given to them, meaning death and Hades are under the control of a sovereign God. But here's the point, and you don't want to miss it. You cannot hide from death. You cannot escape death. You cannot crawl up into a hole and cover yourself with dirt and think that you are going to somehow miss the judgment of God Almighty. God alone, by nature, is eternal. But when God made you, He made you to live forever. He made you in His image, and you will live forever either in a place called heaven or a place called hell. Heaven is forever, so is hell. It's endless, measureless, dateless. It is forever and ever, on and on and on and on. And when a man has been there 10 million years, he will not have one less second to spend. And so he's describing the turmoil that is happening. Authority was given to him. And of course, it says here, a fourth of the earth is killed through this rider. To put this in modern terms, if this were to happen in this time frame in human history, there are 7.5 billion people upon the earth, approximately. That means 1,875,000,000 people will die during this time. And death comes by the sword, famine, and pestilence. Listen, people spiritualize revelation. They say, well, this is history and it's already happened. There has never, ever been a time in the history of the world where any plague, famine, or war took one-fourth of the earth's population. But this writer will do that. Now, what a harvest it will be for the devil. And I'm sure he'll be laughing all the way into the bank until he is thrown in the lake of fire. Now, that's the context. Let's pick up where we left off. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. All right. Verse 9, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, 
I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe grapes when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Now, in this portion of Scripture, we find two opposite worlds, which you can see on your note-taking outline is the title of this morning's message. John describes one world of God's saints who are in heaven, but a second world of sinners who are upon the earth. So let's first deal with the world of the tribulation saints who are in heaven. And he underscores three truths about God's saints who are in heaven. First, he describes the cost of their testimony. Notice, if you will now, verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who've been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. Suddenly the vision changes as the lamb breaks the fifth seal. The four horsemen have ridden past John, and now the fifth seal is broke. And he sees underneath the altar the souls of those who've been slain. He reveals this group of people who have been martyred for their faith. Now, in spite of all the resistance that we're going to read about during this seven-year period of people who refuse to believe, God will still have people, a number that no one can count, who will come to genuine faith. That's one of the functions of the tribulation. One is to bring Israel to faith, but also to bring Gentile nations from every tribe, tongue, and people. For instance, of the Jew, John uh, Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 30, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble. That's how the Jew refers to this time frame. We call it the Great Tribulation. They call it the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved from it. When we come to the seventh chapter next time, we will see 144,000 Jewish men who are converted to Christ, and they will preach the gospel to millions. Can you imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls preaching the gospel during this time, and a great multitude that no one can count comes to believe on the Lord Jesus. And because they refuse to give allegiance to the Antichrist, to take the mark of the beast, they will be martyred, and the methodology is by beheading. To listen again to today's introduction to the sixth and seventh seal judgments, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, 
or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV18, entitled Two Opposite Worlds. Search the Scriptures is dedicated to leading people to Christ as well as growing existing Christians in their walk with God. If you can help support this ministry, please call 877-787-7478 and inquire about becoming a foundation partner or about making a one-time gift. Thank you. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife Audrey is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll continue our look at two opposite worlds as we search the scriptures. <laughs>